The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are about to enter a world of straight talk, compelling issues, and real solutions. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio with your host, Kit Cummings. Each week, we will tackle the issues that you've been talking about. We bring desperately needed hope and peace to our youth and our communities. Now, here is Kit Cummings. Good evening, everybody. Kit Cummings, Power Peace Radio, coming to you live from Atlanta, GA. Very, very excited to have everyone back with us every week. More and more people are listening, and I get so excited about Power Peace Radio. Very excited about tonight. We have a special guest, and uh, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But for those that are joining us for the first time, Power Peace Radio seeks to bring peace into turbulent times and bring light into darkness, hope into despair, whether that be kids in our high schools and middle schools, whether it be in our communities where things are, are, are bubbling up and simmering, even blowing up at times, whether it be in prisons, juvenile corrections, or even in churches or just out in the suburbs, there's a... Uh, peace is a powerful thing. It never goes out of style. It's always cool. People always want it all over the world. And one way or another, we're all seeking peace because we were born for it. And Power Peace Radio uh, speaks about real issues, compelling issues, things we're already talking about. And this is straight talk, fascinating guests, compelling subjects, and we're looking for solutions. And we're trying to do it in a language that you can understand and in a way that uh, is entertaining at the same time. And so tonight, that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to close out our series, um, the August series that we've been having. And we started with uh, Speech Thomas, who's the founder and front man for the band Arrested Development. We talked about hip-hop and how hip-hop has changed our culture and the difference in, in the hip-hop that's affecting our kids in a negative way and then the kind of music that, that he has spawned. And the next week we had Mark L. Hutchins, who's a civil rights leader and a reverend in Atlanta that's trying to bring about change and bring back the civil rights movement in Atlanta and try to prevent another Ferguson-Baltimore um, situation. We had uh, Antonio Boyd and an Illinois warden, which our guest tonight might know, Mr. Charles Hensley, and we talked about um, the attack of the, the assault of the African-American male in the incarceration uh, complex in America. And um, then we had Dr. David Jackson, who's community affairs reverend and also works for the Atlanta Police Department. We talked about cops and communities and how we could bridge that divide. And then last week we had Michael Weir, who was um, Obama staffer, helped get President Obama elected in 08, helped him get reelected in 2012, became the youngest White House staffer in modern uh, politic, our political history here in America, and that was a fascinating conversation. We talked about faith communities and the, the crisis of faith in our uh, society. I do want to take a, a moment here and just um, uh, mention Dr. Wayne Dyer. He had a big impact on my life. You know, he passed yesterday, but um, I, I, I 
teach and speak about a lot of universal laws and principles, and um, he was one of the uh, trendsetters and really at the front edge of this Enlightenment movement, and he brought a lot of people together and sold a lot of books that helped millions and millions of people, and so I was sad to hear that, that he had passed yesterday, and I just wanted to say that for people listening. I know he'll be missed, um, but I guarantee you there's going to be a spike in people um, getting into learning about what he taught, and there's a lot of crossover there. I do have a new book that I just released called Peace Behind the Wire, A Nonviolent Resolution. And uh, in that book, I do talk about the history of the Power of Peace Project and how it's spreading to prisons and jails and schools and, um, and churches and communities all across the country. And our guest tonight helped to uh, give birth to that movement, at least when it was young and started. Um, we, we really had uh, quite an amazing um, growth period up there. And um, But anyway, Peace Behind the Wire, it's on Amazon, it's on iTunes, you can pick it up, ebook or print version. Um, I wanted to start with a, uh, a story as I like to. I like to start with a story and then end with a story. And uh, this is a once upon a time, one of those kind of stories. This man was walking along, and all of a sudden, he fell in a hole. Out of nowhere, he tripped, fell in a hole. It was a big hole. He couldn't get out, and so he began to shout, and he started shouting louder and louder, somebody help me, and uh, he couldn't figure out how to get out. Along came a doctor. doctor heard the cries, and he looked down. He saw the young man in the hole, and he said, son, what are you doing in that hole? He said, I've fallen in, and I, I don't know how to get out. The doctor wrote a prescription on how to deal with anxiety when you fall into a hole, and, and uh, he dropped that prescription in the hole, and he walked on. A teacher came along the hole, and he heard the, the racket. He looked down, and he, he looked down, and he saw the man. He said, son, what are you doing in that hole? He said, I've fallen in this hole, and I don't know how to get out. And the teacher, he wrote a, a lesson plan on five points on how to get out of a hole when you fall in. He dropped it into the hole, and then he walked along his way. And next, a holy man came along, and he looked down and saw the young man. He said, my son, why are you in the hole? He said, I've fallen there. I can't figure out how to get out. And the holy man, he said a prayer. It was a beautiful, eloquent prayer for him to get out of that hole, and then he walked on. And then a friend came along, and he heard the cries for help, and he looked down, and the guy said, friend, what are you doing in the hole? He said, I've fallen down here. I can't get out. And the friend jumped in, and now they're both in the hole. And the man looked over at his friend. He said, now, why'd you do that? Now we're both stuck down here. And the friend looked at his, his new brother, and he said, I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. And so much of what's going on in our, our country and what the Power Peace Project is all about is about getting our hands dirty, rolling up our sleeves, and jumping down in the hole with people instead of just preaching at them and giving them you know, maybe hollow solutions or just talking at one another, not listening to one another. Tonight we have a, um, a guest that I've known here for a few years. His name is Jason Bunting. He's a warden in the Ohio Department of Corrections. And um, he's, he's really, uh, I admire him, I respect him, I brag about him all the time. Today I had a meeting downtown Atlanta at the uh, Capitol um, with uh, some uh, some men and women that are interested in the Power Peace Project and uh, some new projects, and I talked about him today. Um, Jason Bunting is the warden at Marion Correctional Institution for the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction. 
Jason is responsible for the leadership and overseeing of the entire administrative, correctional, and custody services and operations at MCI. He previously held the position Deputy Warden of Special Services, where he was responsible for the administration of services provided within the chapel, education, medical, mental health, recreation, and recovery services departments within the institution. In addition, he coordinated the implementation of initiatives involved with the institution's faith-based reentry program and Lifeline Reentry Community Center, which fosters multiple initiatives supporting Ohio's reentry plan. Prior to that, he held the position of Deputy Warden of Operations at MCI, where he was responsible for the administration of services provided within the custody and unit management areas of the institution. During his nearly 18 years of employment at MCI, he has served in other capacities, such as unit manager, administrator, unit manager, case manager, social worker, administrative assistant. During a period of his employment with MCI, he continued to maintain contingent employment with his NetCare Access, which is an agency providing mental health crisis intervention for mentally ill and drug alcohol clientele needing such services. Prior to his arrival in MCI, he maintained employment within an inpatient psychiatric unit, an inpatient, not inpatient, a psychiatric unit hospital and community housing program established for the mentally ill. Jason has received a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Mount Union College and a Master's Degree in Social Work from Ohio State University while obtaining his license, social worker as well. Jason, that is impressive. Welcome to the show tonight. Thanks, kid. I appreciate you having me. And that, Although it's not a, as impressive as Arrested Development, Mr. Wendell or Tennessee, like one of my, two of my all-time favorite songs. Okay, now you're just showing off. You're, you're showing everybody that, that you're the hip guy. You're the hip warden. You're, you're throwing out Mr. Wendell. That's my MO. That should continue, right? Now, this is cool. Speech listens to this show, and that was his song. The hook, you know, when we come in and, and when we go out to breaks, that's speech, and it's a new song, so I'm, he's a good dude. Now, i got to tell on you, and then we're going to go into the story a little bit. When I was there at, uh, actually, it wasn't Marion, but it was one next door, NCCC, um, pretty large prison there, and we were there for an event called Torch, which was for young um, inmates, and it was a faith-based program. And I'm sitting there, and I've never been up there, and there's a bunch of volunteers, and it's a room full of inmates, and we're having a great time. And all of a sudden, you know, I look at this uh, this volunteer next to me, and I hear this dude in the back, and he's like, Woo! You know, he's making all kind of cool, you know what I mean? He's just the coolest guy in the room. And he's wearing a skull cap, and, you know, he's, he's fit, and he's young, he's cool. And I look at this volunteer, and I'm like, man, who is that guy? And he goes, oh, that's the warden. And I said, no, no, not that guy. I mean, who's the guy right there in the skull cap? And he goes, that's the warden. And I said, man, that is the coolest warden I've ever seen. And so we got to know each other, and then you ended up inviting me. So I know Christine Money uh, is a big influence on your life. And uh, tonight's uh, subject is... Is prison reform a pipe dream in America? So, Jason, I want to know, um, tell our listeners how in the world you worked your way all the way up the ranks to Warden and uh, at Marion and MCI. Tell us about how you got here. Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about my bio, like, wow, that sounds really impressive. Um, but, you know, honestly, I, didn't, I often tell people I didn't sign up to be the warden and really didn't envision doing, being the warden. Um, when I got out of my undergrad at uh, Mount Union College, I actually was just job hunting, and a buddy of mine said, hey, you should go work for corrections. They're hiring social workers. Well, I had a psychology degree, and so I hashed that out with him. He says, well, you, you know, you'll meet the minimum requir requirements with even a psychology degree. 
So I ended up applying, not really thinking, like, a, being an outsider that the agency would hire me. And a uh, young man that I still, well, older gentleman now, that I still call a mentor early on in my career, Dr. Steele, hired me, believe it or not, as a social worker. I was the first social worker they had in uh, the mental health department at MCI in some time. And really, he didn't know what to do with me for a good period of time. And I think that was actually beneficial um, because I was actually kind of, I guess the best description is able to kind of create my own persona and kind of create my own interaction and how I thought I would make an impact on men's lives Um, because I really came in thinking, oh, I'm going to really change some men's lives or at least change a couple people's lives, if nothing else. And so I think that's really where I started. Um, And I thought I would be in mental health for my entire career. Um, I was pretty content. And, you know, God puts things in your life and does things. And actually my job was abolished because of a closure of a prison down south um, Mm -hmm. or a correctional complex. And so I was displaced from being a social worker, not because of my performance, but that's just the nature of being in a bargaining unit at the time. And um, I was able to remain at Marion but go to case management. So I went from kind of this, I like to describe it as kind of this sheltered environment, you know, where the inmates came to you and it was scheduled appointments and you had a caseload that you managed and pretty reasonable and kind of, you know, set like an outpatient clinic. Um, So you're you're thinking Monday pretty much Monday through Friday, 8 to 3.30. So really didn't know know the prison as much as I thought I did. And then case management puts you in the heart of the operation, you know, puts you in a unit, gives you a pretty large caseload of offenders to provide direct services to. And honestly, that is probably one of the biggest blessings. So I was a case manager and um, ended up attaching with a, a woman that eventually became the warden. Uh, but she saw something in me and promoted me to unit manager and then the unit manager administrator. And honestly, when she became the warden, appointed me to uh, my first deputy warden appointment as operations. And, you know, Chris, who you mentioned, is actually mm-hmm. um, was on the front end of hiring me when uh, Dr. Steele recommended me. Obviously, she had to sign off on that. So, you know, Chris and Chris Money and Maggie and I go back, you know, 18 years now and the only prison I've been at, um, so some people see that as a blessing, and some people, you know, probably will critique that. Um, but I'll tell you what, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Great, right. great, great group of people that work here, and you know you've heard me say this, believe it or not, some honestly good men that are incarcerated mm-hmm. here, because there are good men that are incarcerated. Absolutely. And I've, I've seen that firsthand. I mean, I've, I've gone to, as you know, a lot of prisons and met a lot of inmates and uh, a lot of wardens, a lot of chaplains, a lot of deputies, and I continue to go where I'm invited. Um, there is a, you, you pick up a vibe in different prisons, and, and it reflects the, the leadership in a lot of ways. Now, certain things that are always going to be in prisons. There are some people that don't ever need to go back to communities. There's people, right. as I say, that, that we're mad at and then some that we're afraid of. And right. so there, there are men in there that, that are, I mean, I, I, I tell crowds all the time, there are men that I meet in these prisons that are better men than me. And um, I don't, you know, it's not mine to go in there and try to figure out why they're there. I just want to help the ones that want help and because I realize that I've heard as much as 97% are coming back to our communities. It's going to be a matter of, of how they return, not if. And if we don't help them on the inside... 
And so, you know, I've seen your uh, relationship with the guys, the way that they uh, see you, the way they speak to you, and you're a lot of fun. You're a very active guy, and they know that about you, but all, obviously they respect you and they know that you're fair and that you, you, you know, you, you need to you be what you need to be. But I wanted to, to say this um, is to the public, you know, like I said, is prison reform a pipe dream? There's a lot of people that either have thrown their hands up or have no idea. They, you know, keep them out of sight, out of mind, don't even want to see them, you know, or giving up on them. A lot of those men, if they've done three, four, five years or more, they don't have visits anymore, mail call. And so they're just, uh, they're feared, forgotten, and um, unseen, uh, invisible men uh, from the free world perspective. But this is what the, the public hears, is, you know, 2.4 million incarcerated in the land of the free. Two-thirds um, or ish uh, happen to be minority. Uh, 50% I've heard now that are 25 years old or younger. So we're locking up younger and younger inmates for lesser crimes, longer times. Recidivism, anywhere from 40 to 50, 60%, meaning they turn around and reoffend, get revoked within three years. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, a lot of uh, privatization, you know, which uh, brings a whole new host of issues in. A third or around somewhere around that number go in for nonviolent offenses. Two-third come out having learned to be violent or having to be violent. And where I think that, that what I hear in your story is the, the mental health aspect of that's what you came up under. And as many as a, a third, I believe, are classified that way. Don't know if that's under, over, right on time. But, and then so much young that are coming in uh, with gang influences um, or it's getting in gangs when they, when they get in or coming in already affiliated. And so um, tonight I want to, there's going to be uh, several questions, but I want you to just speak to how, uh, got about two minutes before the break, our first break, how the mental health field prepared you for being a warden now? Because I haven't heard a lot of that story. Um, I think, well, you're talking about treatment. You know, there's an approach to treatment or security, and then, you know, balancing that out in a correctional facility is critical. Um, you need to have pro-social kinds of things in order for men to be connected and acclimated and even have the skill set or the ability to return to a community, I believe. Um, I believe that in my heart. I believe that in my spirit and soul. Uh, the reality of it is in Ohio, you know, our recidivism rate is 27.5, so that means 72.5% of the men are coming back to our communities. Mm. And I don't even, you know, you talk about treatment, I think more uh, what I would tell you, it's about an upbringing, too. Like, I, I don't know that my parents dealt with me and told me that treating folks poorly makes them better. So I don't get where being the punisher, per se, is going to make a man better off and come back out to the community and be successful. I just don't think that's our role. I don't think that's our responsibility. I think you said it earlier. There are some men that will probably never get out of prison, and there's a reason for that. But in Ohio, when you're talking about releasing 72.5% and they're coming back out to our community, well, you know what? We wouldn't be very good public servants if we made them worse off. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes good sense. And and I'm I'm sitting here listening to you. And if I'm if I'm just tuning in for the first time, and I I see that oh we have a, a warden on the line tonight, 
um, or if somebody tuned in and heard you talking, I don't think that they would. That's not the perception they have, I think, of, of wardens or the correctional complex. I live in the South, and um, I think that we have a governor in Georgia that's trying to change this, and I see a real progressive move toward uh, transition, reentry. He's using the language, returning citizens. I mean, today I was in a meeting with um, and a, a in the governor's office, not with the governor, but one of his appointees, a director, that is really looking at some aggressive, progressive, forward-thinking ways to help men and women get ready to come home, stay home, get out, find jobs, faith communities if they want one, and the treatment they need on the inside so that when they get out that they've got some tools or have access to them and have been trained about how to find them and who to connect with. And that's that's huge. And I know that Georgia is making moves and the population, the inmate population is dropping. And um, so that's encouraging. But um, we're going to go to the first break here. But as we go, I want to come back and talk about the uh, that wave that moved toward younger and younger inmates and I know that was one of the reasons I got invited back this last time so stick with us we're speaking with Warden Jason Bunting out of the Ohio Department of Corrections at Marion Correctional and we'll be right back love is in the air tonight hey, hey, the energy inside gives me life hey, and this goes out to the world It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you feel alone? Even when you're surrounded by others? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April J. Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to help you find out who you are. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you happy in your life, or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Get ready to experience a more fulfilling lifestyle. Tune in to Direct Connect Empowerment with host Fee Mazanke. The show will feature guests who have changed their lives by using the Direct Connect coaching program or have worked with the same concepts that this program offers. By hearing how others have been transformed, you will be inspired to move forward. Direct Connect Empowerment with Fee Mazanke can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. 
346-9141. You may also send an email to Kit at kitcummings.com. Now back to Power of Peace Radio. Hey everybody, welcome back. Kit Cummings, Power of Peace Radio, and we're in a very, very uh, stimulating conversation, compelling issue. There's a lot of talk, um, especially out of um, the the governor of Ohio that is really uh, making a, a strong statement in this uh, Republican race, and um, but also just uh, the director, which in Georgia is the commissioner of the Department of Corrections. I believe, Jason, if I'm right, in Ohio, it's the director. And right. there was some changes that were made. We were talking during the break there, just in some simple um, uh, verbiage, I guess, in your mission statement and your vision statement, value proposition, that changed things for you, maybe a paradigm shift. Um, so if you'd like to speak to that. Yeah, I, I think it, for me it, it solidified what we were talking about earlier. You talked about like how mental health treatment, that background worked its way into kind of my leadership and just my working in a prison. And then I mentioned some of that, but I also mentioned the upbringing of my parents, you know, uh, and the term I often talk about is, you know, on our job descriptions, it doesn't say anywhere treat people um, worse than they were when, or make people worse off than they were when they came into prison. It doesn't say that on any of our job descriptions, so therefore right. we shouldn't do that. But, you know, our director, what he touched on is he made, we used to have a pretty long, uh, I call it a soliloquy for a mission and vision statement for this agency, but he really honed in and said, Hey, our mission statement's real simple now. You can almost recite it without even looking at it. It says one simple line, to reduce recidivism amongst those we touch. And, you know, I talked about having a 27.5% recidivism rate. I mean, but that talks about, so anybody we come in contact with, our role is to make them better off so they don't come back to prison. But the vision statement is, I think, what we talked about the break really has resonated with me, and I typically always defer to that because it says reduce crime in Ohio. And I think even myself, when I started, I didn't know much about prisons. Um, and what I did know, I probably honestly just thought it was a place you just lock people up that were bad and that's what you did and they needed to be there. But when you talk about reducing crime in Ohio as your vision statement, that says that to me, and I, and I, I tell, talk to people about this, uh, even our new, as, as, even as, early as our new employees, I say to them, that says we're responsible through the services we provide, whether that's a correctional officer, food service, social worker, case manager, warden, AA, deputy, whatever it is, whatever our role is inside the prison should make a difference. Where that guy leaves the prison, he doesn't commit crime. Therefore, from the inside, we're reducing crime in Ohio. And I don't know that philosophically... Any of us were there years ago. That what that it almost amen if that makes sense. Yeah. That hey, the services we provide not only can make a difference, but they have to make a difference. We can't be sending folks back out and without the skills and the tools. Therefore, they feel like they have to commit crime. Does that make sense? 
Uh, makes total sense. It's I love simple. I mean, simpler the better. I think, uh, right. like I said in the beginning, there's universal laws and principles that just are. They are what they are. They don't need to defend themselves. They just work for those that use them, whether it's a King, a Gandhi, a Mandela, a Mother Teresa. They work today, whether it's a guy that's been down 30 years or whether it's a kid that picks up the tools because somebody you know led him along. And they're just, uh, it's the way we're created. And um, one of the things I like to say to the guys is, I'm not coming in here trying to bring God to you. I'm coming here trying to find God in you. And that he, he, you know, whatever that means to you, the light uh, might be very, very covered up and wounded and scarred and, uh, you know, hard. But I believe it's there. And I believe these things speak to people. And um, one of the biggest things that actually it happened, you know, I mean, I've had inmates that have made heroic changes and have had some of their biggest problems with, um, unfortunately, correctional officers. But then I remind them, hey, there there are uh, inmates that are that are good guys and they're inmates that are, you know, have lost their way. But it's the same in every profession. I don't care if it's a doctor, a lawyer, a judge, a cop, a, a, a surgeon, you know, a psychologist or whether it be a construction worker, whether it be, a, you know, a teacher. There's there's wonderful human beings and then there's some that have lost their way. And um, the same thing in the prisons, obviously in a more drastic uh, measure in a lot of cases. But one of the things that I remember when you invited me back and I was there several years ago and we tried this experiment, the Power Peace Project, and you gave us about 100 guys. We got in a room two days all day long. And we got them to culminate in signing a police, uh, peace pledge, and they put on wristbands, and they got T-shirts, and they got together in small groups once a week. And they sat down with their rivals, whether it was black, white, brown, Christian, Muslim, Jew, Crip, blood, whatever it was. And they sat down, and they did 40 days together, and they studied the Gandhis and the Kings and the Mandelas, and they were challenged to, to imitate them just for 40 days and to journal and to talk and to come back every week, and then we celebrated. And if you remember that first celebration, it was outside by the garden that you have there, the inmates, and we ate, and they celebrated and cheered one another, and it was I knew magic was happening, and I had no idea what I was doing. And then I came back a couple of years later, and in a lot of ways still didn't know what I was doing because I was, you know, I found out that in an adult prison, um, those guys, you know, a lot of them are coming out because it's a good program. If you make them laugh, you know, make them give them goosebumps, you know, they'll listen to you all day long, every day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so that's what we did. Or we, like I got a frog in my pocket. That's what I did. And I held their attention and it still worked, but there were holes in the program because they weren't getting, you know, it, as deep as they could in those first two days. And so you passed me off to a great guy in uh, the DYS, the Department of Youth Services there in in, uh, Columbus. And that got me into juvenile corrections in the state of Ohio, changed my life. And I went in there, Jason, and I tried that same stuff that that worked so well at Marianne, and it fell flat, man. Those young cats, they looked at me like, hey. And they, they stayed all day. I was amazed. And they came back and they signed the peace pledge and it worked. But I thought, man, I have got to figure out how to do this and how to keep them busy and and get into uh, exercises every 30 minutes, man. 20 minutes of teaching, 30 minutes of exercise. Take a break. 20, 30, take a break. And it, and it really expanded my program. And I think I learned that there at Marion. But what I saw was young guys coming out of Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, a lot of them already gang affiliated. They've been in, in the system since they were young. They are lining up and beating down the doors to get to Marion. And you're seeing them. 
and they're coming up. How's that affecting what the the really great things you've built at MCI, and how are you dealing with it? Um, well, I think you were part of that dealing with it, to be honest with you. Um, a, a previous regional director that I had really saw the model that had been going on at Marion even prior to me under Chris and continued by Maggie and then kind of continued by myself. And um, we had traditionally dealt with an older population. I think you knew that. Um, you know, like today, our, our, we still got a fairly old population. Our average age is a little over 40. Like our oldest man incarcerated is over 86, getting ready to be 87. Wow. But our youngest man is 18 and a half. Mm-hmm. So, but you came in at a time when our, nor- our regional director was challenging us to take on a younger population because he believed we had pl- things in place to... Uh, this is a terrible term, so uh, forgive me. Kind of absorb a population like that, because um, mm-hmm. we had. I guess it really is philosophy was um, we had enough meaningful activities going on, uh, meaningful programming, vocational, those kind of things that we'd somehow be able to take a influx of guys that were under twenty five and be able to kind of transform them, and. I guess when you get accustomed to dealing with a really older population, and you mentioned uh, currently we've got 580 lifers, so we have the single largest population of lifers. You know, those are guys that have done time, been doing time, know how to do time, those kind of things, versus a younger population. Right. So that is part of how you got in is because I, I, I pretty much challenge everybody you know, proportionally, they were still the smallest population we had. Like today, we have about 369, well, roughly 360 under 25s. Well, we got 2,600 men incarcerated. So percentage-wise, still not a large volume, but significant enough that if we didn't keep them busy and get them on the right track sooner than later, that they could probably really shift the culture of this prison. And so I challenged a lot of people they're not going to be ahead of us. We're going to be ahead of them. So we're going to wrap services around them and challenge them to get in school and challenge them to do these things and stay out of trouble and give them incentives and, and those kind of things. And that's really, if you remember how you got introduced, yep. is, is kind of Chris bridged that relationship, Miss Money. And I was like, sure, you know, anything that talks about, um, you know, uh, no violence and peace and those kind of things. And I, I think that's how we really, um, I was bought into having you be a part of the prison because I saw you as a piece that, no pun intended, a piece yeah. that come in and um, help impact those guys like immediately. Like give you a group of guys, see if you could get at them. And if you could get at them, you know, have them wear those bracelets proudly, have them wear those T-shirts proudly and hope they continue to do that you know, for whatever time they had to serve. And so um, I think your question really was about how do we um, combat that or how do we, how are we, you know, I guess attacking that kind right. of thing. But I don't think it's any different for us than we do our long-term offenders. We just had to find what meaningful activities and programs they wanted. You know? Right, right. Yeah, you know, we... Uh, you know, uh, philosophically, another thing is this is going to sound really obscure, but it's I think that's this is probably the social work in me. You know, you got to quit. Sometimes you don't tell people what they need because you really don't know what they need. Like I don't mm. know what men need without asking them. 
I could tell them all day what they need, but heck, that may not work because ultimately that's not what they need for their lives in this situation, which ultimately leads to the life outside of prison. And so we do a lot of here, staff, of asking men, what are your needs? And so when you start to ask young men what their needs are, um, you pretty much can get a good description. You may not be hip to it or agree with it necessarily, but sometimes you got to try what they need in order to impact them. Wow. I mean, that is so <laughs> simple, powerful, uh, but I think radical in a lot of places um, in corrections. And I always say this to wardens and deputies and their staff and all the people you have um, under your employee and, and to the residents that you have and what you're charged to do is, a, is an incredible responsibility to you know, protect the public, protect the staff, protect the residents. And that's, that's, golly, there's a lot that goes into that. But to hear the way, and just your ideas and the way that you're going about it, that is so radical because a lot of the places that I go, the men do not feel hurt. And that's what I'm seeing with our young generation because this, you know, these kids up there in Cleveland and Columbus, we went in there and uh, they, I'm talking, you think about it, 17.8 is their average um, age coming out of there. 56% of them are gang active, okay, STG. And there's as young as a 12-year-old in the room. They can hold them as old as 21, and then they're either let go, bound over, to come to places like Marion, and and so it's it's a rough. And there were two two major gangs in the room, and one comes out of Cleveland. You're seeing some of those at MCI, and and the rest gang up because they're not from Cleveland, and they fight all the time. And so I wondered, would these kids embrace these principles like the old guys, the convicts? Um, that, you know, I use that term respectfully, that have learned how to do time and pretty much they figured out how to do it as uh, best they can for these long terms. And it was a little harder work and it took, you know, getting very creative with the exercises. And I can't wait to bring those back to, to places like MCI because with the new exercises, these kids helped us figure out, man, it's it's just injected. It's put the Power Peace Project on steroids. But um, these young guys, they embraced it too, because I think deep down, none of us wants to do hard time. I don't care if we're in a prison or we're in a high school or if we're in a church. Nobody wants to do hard time in life. If we can have it easy, we want it easy. Everybody wants to be able to believe what they believe, say what they want to say, go where they want to go, do what they need to do. And as long as you don't hurt anybody, don't hurt me, then I'll respect you know your walk. Well, that's young guys and old guys, just a bunch of the young guys. They just they're, they're coming into the, the adult environment. And I know a lot of them just feel a lot of pressure to make a name. And, man, that's causing the old against the young. That became the thing that I had to start to address. It wasn't just a racial thing. It wasn't a religious faction thing. It wasn't West Side, East Side, Cincinnati, Cleveland. It was the old guys and the young guys, man. And it was, you know, I've, I've seen a, a big shift in that. And But these young guys, they embraced it. They came together, and because of the programs that are going on, Cuyahoga is an amazing place, and they've got a, um, a superintendent there. His name is Chris Freeman, and he, he gave me some amazing stats. Um, a year ago, in May of 2014, they had 646 uh, seclusion hours, okay, among about 150 juvenile inmates. And so for those listening, that means that, you know, that's segregation time. If you add up all the time that these young people had to go and, and be by themselves, 
um, it was over 600. This year, May 2015, and it, it, it happened to be when we we're doing the Power Peace Project, but it was because of all the other programs that I think POP makes better because where there's more peace, peace programs flourish, and education faith-based works if you can get people into them. And they, they dropped that number over the last 12 months to 64 <laughs> which was a state record in the Ohio Department of Youth Services. And it shows me that young minds can change too, which goes against popular opinion. And it's not just these, well, you know, you've heard that oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yes, you can, because it goes to his core, her core spirit. But you can also inter- interrupt and redirect these young guys that everybody has decided, man, they're a lost cause. And so... Um, can't wait to come back. We got a caller waiting on you, Jason. Guy out of Atlanta named Zeron. I can't wait to hear from Zeron. So y'all stick around. Come right back. Power Peace Radio. Love is in the air tonight. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home, and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Kit at kitcummings.com. Now back to Power of Peace Radio. Hey everybody, Power Peace Radio, Kit Cummings, your host, and we are back. This is a, a great show we're talking about. This is the final show in the series, not the final show, but our series in August uh, before we take a break and, and go into September and, and go into troubled 
teens and the fact that uh, we're, we're really losing this young generation in a lot of ways. But this month has been fascinating as we've dealt with uh, racial issues. We've dealt with faith in America. We've dealt with cops and communities. We've dealt with incarceration. And tonight, uh, we've got Warden Jason Bunting from the Ohio Department of Corrections, MCI, Marion Correctional Institution. And um, we've been having a great conversation. But what we uh, had left off with is just the young mind. And um, and go ahead and, and speak to, to what we were talking about there, Jason, as, as we left off. Uh, just about the uh, impact trying to manage or uh, provide services for the younger population. It's just... You know, it's about, now I think we were talking about assessing and, or talking to them about their needs. Um, that's what it, there you go. Thank you, man. I'm sitting here. That, yeah. That's what I needed you to do. Yeah, that was actually, radical, radical, radical in yeah. that uh, we've got to ask people and then listen. That's one of the biggest things well, that the hey, inmates you know, are doing in the power piece is practice active listening. So to hear a, a warden to say that you ask the men, what do you need, and then listen and respond when appropriately, that's radical to me. Yeah, well, and, and you know what? That, that's part of the, the same thing we talked about with the mission and vision statement. We got a, a director that's pretty progressive, and you know his statement is our first responsibility is to be present for the, and available for the concerns of the staff, and then he says, and the needs of the inmates. I mean, so when you think about that, how do you know what a guy needs if you don't talk to him? That's my interpretation of his philosophy. Hey, the first priority is concerns of the staff, and then it's the needs of the inmates. And so you only get to their needs if you ask them. Now, of course, there's assessment tools and things we use to prioritize programming and participation and risk and those kind of things, and that's all well and good and all necessary but sometimes some good old-fashioned just talking to guys and asking them what they need, sometimes you can get good stuff out of that as well. Yeah, yeah. And imagine how the that man walks away. I mean, the self-esteem, the self-worth, his value, and what he feels like when somebody, not just in your position, but somebody truly wants to know, um, how do you feel? You know, I mean, they say that, uh, they being kids, you know, the the you know, the lingo is, is, I see you, you know, you feel me, I got you. Right, right. And... Yeah, that's what it's all about is, is people want to be seen, they want to be heard, felt, and I want to know you got my back, and then I'm with you for life. And see, that's what the gangs are offering these young men that feel invisible. Nobody's got me. They're getting beat up, picked on. They see a guy that has all the flash and the cash and the ladies, and then they're you know coming to him and saying, hey, listen, we can, we can put clothes on you. We can give you the right shoes. I'll put money in your pocket. Nobody will pick on you, and you can come hang with us, and we will never leave you. And then we've got, you know, older people out of touch and, you know, especially certain parts of our society saying, why are those kids making those choices when we have not put ourselves in their place and said, if I grew up in that neighborhood and that's all I ever saw, then who's to say that I'm such an extraordinary individual that I would have the character to say no when my whole neighborhood is built on that generationally and not to mention in many cases uh, generational poverty and you've got you're getting beat on and beat on and beat on and finally enough is enough and somebody can help me and protect me I got you you know I do feel you I see you and so um, I know we've got someone that's called in and uh, from Atlanta Zeron Pledger you out there buddy how you doing, man? <laughs> how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Hello, Jason. Hey, how are you, John? 
Great, great. I'm listening to you guys, man. Um, Jason, you're doing some great things uh, based on the information that you're sharing, and Kit, you as well. Um, and it, it's just it's just so ironic, you know, when you when I'm listening to what's going on in the prison, the way Jason explains it, it reminds me so much of the things that we deal with in the school. I do a lot of mentoring in the school, and the biggest thing, like you guys are saying, you have to know what the kids want. You have to understand what it is they're going through, what the experience looks like, and then be able to let them know that, okay, hey, I have your back. I'm trying to work with you. And that then gives them value and helps them build the self-worth that they need. A lot of them just don't have self-esteem. A lot of them do not have a foundation that they're standing on. So a lot of times that then turns into incarceration because they're making decisions that really um, they should not be making or someone has not advised them. So I like the way that Jason is approaching that because I heard Kit, you say something about um, um, you can't teach old dog new tricks. And in a lot of cases, that's the situation. But I feel like the young people, we can really reach because they're looking for answers. And it sounds like Jason is giving those answers. Same thing with what you're doing, Kate, with Power of Peace. You're giving them answers to questions. They have stacks of questions that they don't have answers to. And the things that you guys are doing are helping them find those answers opposed to them going to get the answers from the gang members and those that are going to put them in harm's way. That's good stuff, man. And I, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing that perspective. And that is a, um, a wonderful segue into what we'll be doing in September. And I know, um, Zeron, you and I have gotten a chance to connect on some projects in Atlanta that we want to take outside of Atlanta. And so um, I really, really appreciate you calling in. And I look forward to, to hearing more in the future. Um, Jason, one of the things that uh, that you have referred to several times is that if if uh, a man and we always and a woman we've done some women's prisons, um, but uh, you deal with a, a male population, um, their punishment is they've got to come and live there and they've got to be away from society, away from their families and uh, their consequences, right? And um, but our our job that that's the punishment, not to make it worse for them while they're there and. Um, Isolation, we know, is, is very devastating to the mind of a, of a healthy person, but especially mental health. If you put an individual uh, by themselves, and I know that that is a, a part of you know, incarceration, but um, can you speak to that about uh, reward versus punishment in corrections and, um, and your, your take on that and also uh, isolation and, and how you are, are dealing with that and how things are going in MCI and, in terms of that? Well, I think, I know, I know, because I have confidence that I know you enough that you know the trend that's going across the nation is um, about restrictive housing and isolation, and obviously when too much isolation is too much, and what is the threshold for restrictive housing or isolation. Um, so, again, we're fortunate to have a pretty progressive uh, director that has pretty much tried to keep us ahead of that, and um so we are f trying to find ways specifically regarding restrictive housing um, to, A, take meaningful activities back to segregation while men are back there and bring men out of segregation or isolation during their placement in such areas to keep them connected with the general population. Um, so a couple things come to mind for us that we've implemented. Um, one of the coolest things that I think I get the most feed we get the most feedback about from officers, offenders that are in isolation for a period of time, and honestly our staff and volunteers is we started a, a group called Prayer Warriors, 
And mm-hmm. so we have a core group of about five to six outside volunteers, and we take in six to eight inside guys. And you know this from your experience with me. Is uh, you know there are times when I give some men some autonomy because I believe if you give them some autonomy, that gives them some purpose, and if you give them yep. some purpose, that gives meaning to their life. So we take literally some men that are in blue with some volunteers in our chapel, and we have men go cell to cell in isolation and pray with guys and just break bread with them. I uh, shouldn't say break bread. Give them spiritual advice, um, prayer, uh, talk to them about their release back to the general population and that they, and try to connect with them upon release back into general population. Uh, we're bringing guys out of isolation or restrictive housing and actually taking them to one of our faith-based units where we're doing a type of spiritual advisor kind of session weekly. Uh, you know, we are tasked, like I think probably everybody in the nation is with this movement about restrictive housing, to cut down on the number of days that we put people in restrictive housing because isolation doesn't, specifically doesn't do well for any man, but, you know, is even more impactful to those that are mentally ill. And right. so I think that's we're with we're on that same level with everybody else of trying to drive our numbers down, find alternatives um, uh, for segregation, for isolation or restrictive housing. Um, yeah. And in many instances, you know, it's about giving a guy a final disposition to, meaning, hey, if you're a guy that's coming back to our general population, we need to tell you that. And here's what's going to be available for you when you get out, and here's the day you're getting out. Because a guy needs to know what is the end, what's the end game. Like, where am I going to be? And that and goes a guy that just probably wouldn't get released to our general population because the behavior is so severe. You know, he has a right to be also told, here is the outcome. Your destination will, you'll be at another prison uh, at the same security or higher security, but we'll take care of you and meet your needs while you're in isolation. Um, but we saw a significant decrease in our uh, population when we started kind of seeking out alternatives for restrictive housing or isolation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I, and I can speak to that personally because last time, I think it was the last time I was there, um, I was there either early or stayed later. I don't know. There was maybe something going on. And, and you sent me back there with uh, your wonderful chaplain who is a, an amazing guy. And, and um, I got to go cell to cell with the guys that were in restrictive housing. And a lot of them were guys I knew, and they were so excited, you know, to see uh, me and, and I, them. And, and we, some of us, we prayed together and we talked and it was a little reunion. And, you know, the free world, they'll never see that. And they'll never experience that. And, you know, not everybody is like that. But there were some guys that, hey, I got my journal, man. I'm still on the 40. And, you know, we do these 40-day projects, 40 days to freedom, 40 days to peace, you know, 40 days to power, 40 days of prayer. And they're 40 days at a time because that doesn't overwhelm the guys. But um, but anyway, the the that is, I think, so healthy. And I remember when we had our big celebration in the yard that day, we were graduating all the guys. And uh, a guy got choose to, chosen to speak, and he got up, and he was feeling really bad. And it was almost like he was ashamed. He said, man, I, you know, I signed the pledge, and then the next day I got put in the hole. And so I did my whole 40 days in the hole, and everybody started cheering and you know, kept calling at him. And I'm like, 40 days in the hole, that's a new book, i got to write it. But, um, but he did it. And it, and it made all the difference in the world that, that he had done 40 days. And, it may, you know, maybe, I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, he went back there and, you know, he spent a little time, you know, and, and he journaled and he studied and he wrote. And, 
and uh, but to see him come out and to be embraced by those guys, it was it was a beautiful thing because again, I mean the the public doesn't know a lot of that stuff, and so um, you know I want to say I'm gonna give you a chance here at the very end just uh, any any final words, but I want to tell you that that um, I can't wait to come back and see all the guys, and um, I really really appreciate what you're doing, and for those who are listening, I'm telling you. Um, Ohio is making some some moves um, from their their governor to their director to their wardens, and um, it is obvious. And uh, I believe they're becoming a model to the nation, and um, about rehabilitating uh, men and helping them get ready to come back to our communities and become fathers. And I wanted to close with a story that was unbelievable. It's in the new book, Peace Behind the Wire: A Nonviolent Resolution, and I've got a whole section in there devoted to the men at MCI, the Marion Movement, and. Um, but anyway, it was at the graduation, and they have what's called their Champions of Peace paper, and they call it COP, um, which is um, <laughs> interesting. But COP is is their Champion of Peace, and they they choose a Mandela, a Gandhi, a King, and they the standout papers they get up and read. It. And an older gentleman's been there a long time, been in the system a long, long time since I think 1990. So he's whenever that is, 25 years, and. He got up and he started speaking about this man that changed his life. And he said, um, you know, he promised his mom on her deathbed that, that he would change his life. And he didn't keep that promise, but finally he, he did. And they crossed paths in 95 and again in 2000. And how this man had become his COP, his champion of peace, and changed his life. And he went on and he read his paper and it was so powerful and moving. And then he got to the end of it and he said, so I would like to introduce my champion of peace. And he, he looked at the man on the front row and he said, my brother. And they had the same mom. And he stood and his brother didn't know that he was going to do that. And he walked from behind the podium and they embraced, which for what seemed like a very, very long time. And everybody broke out into cheers and there were tears. And it was so powerful. And everybody got to see that. And that's what's going on in places like Marion. There are prisons where revivals are happening and men are finding their dreams again. And their slogan is hope is the new dope. And there are programs. I mean, MCI's got like 100 programs or something crazy. You could probably tell me, Jason. But um, thank you again, Jason, for uh, taking your time tonight and um, just spending this time with us. I know that people have gotten a lot out of it. Go ahead and give me just 15 seconds of blast. Oh, no, you're good. Hey, you know, we're always here for you. We appreciate everything you do. We appreciate the relationship we have with you. I appreciate the the way you handle yourself when you come into our prison, and I appreciate the way you treat our men. Hey, you're welcome anytime. So that's the blast I'll give you because the way you treat our men is how I want men to be treated because I believe so much. Tell all the guys that, that we talked about them tonight, wear their Hope is a New Dope t-shirts, wear their wristband proudly, tell them we're working on the program to bring it back to them even more powerful. And um, for those out there listening, tune in uh, next week as we look for solutions and bring peace into places that lack it. Uh, we love everybody, and uh, thank you guys. Peace out. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Thank you for tuning in to Power of Peace Radio. We hope you've become inspired to make a change in your world. Spread the word and make sure to tune in to our next show. We're live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be the change you wish to see. And remember, hope is the new dope. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 